0: This is the Jay scott outdoors podcast on western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by gohunt.com insider research faster hunt more go to gohunt.com forward slash insider and join today i'm your host Jay scott and i live and breathe hunting and fishing spending half the year in the field experiencing god's creation i hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt Insider. Today we have a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Park. Uh, Michael hunted, uh, I hunted with, uh, elk with Michael way back, I want to say in 99 or 2000. He can correct me um and he shot a really nice bull uh, i happened to run into him and his friend casey brooks in in unit 3c and that's where i met these guys i believe i was had a thousand uh, dollar truck i was driving at the time and was um up underneath it i think my brakes went out no telling how how many days i had driven it with no brakes but uh ran into those guys then and and they kind of took me under their wing and and um really showed me a lot about calling bulls and and how to react, uh, you know, to to different scenarios and uh, had a ball with them back then and then uh, had the fortune to um, hunt with Michael on his uh, 23 tag he had here in Arizona and uh, 2009 and we just had a ball of a hunt and Michael ended up killing a absolute giant bull in, in 2009 um growth scored i believe over 435 inches um just just a mammoth of a bull i believe it was the biggest bull shot in the state of arizona that year um michael has shot 48 elk with a bow uh michael is a uh blue collar guy michael is a ordinary everyday you know hard charging uh blue collar you know type of guy um he's he's uh he, he works at it very hard. He makes uh, sacrifices to hunt different states, and obviously, uh, someone that's as young as he is that's already killed 48 elk with a bow. I'm just uh, pleased and excited to have Michael on the uh, show t- today. And uh, Michael, how you doing? Pretty good, Jay. How you doing, buddy? Oh, just fine. I uh, can't wait to um, pick your brain and, and let my listeners hear some of the knowledge that you have about uh archery elk hunting um i want to start out with 48 elk with a bow um tell me a little bit about that and you know you i believe when you were with me in 09 you were at 42 um tell me about i know you you want to get 50 by the age of 50 uh tell me tell me about that and if you think you're going to achieve that um
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to achieve it. I've got three years to kill two and, you know,
0: for seeing anything terrible happening, it,
1: it should be a slam dunk. Um, this is kind of a, just a personal quest of mine. Back in my mid thirties, um, you know, I was hunting hard hunting three or four States of fall. I mean, going really, really hard at it. Three and a half, four weeks a year in the field, you know, saving all my vacations, saving my nickels and dimes. So, you know, I could hunt that much. And, uh, you know, one day I was in the field, and um, it's, it kind of came to me. It's like, you know, I'm 34 years old or whatever, and I think I can kill 50 of these things before I turn 50. You know, there's guys that have done all kinds of um great accomplishments in the archery and bow hunting world, but it is just kind of like, there's not too many guys that have done something
0: like this. So, you know, a wave yeah. went from there, and <laughs> here's where
1: I'm at. I need to shoot two more of them in three years. <laughs>
0: The pressure's on. You're going to feel more heat in these next two than you probably felt in the first 48. Uh, Michael, how many states have you you hunted in, and how many states have you killed an elk in across the West?
1: Um, It's easier to tell you the states I haven't.
0: Okay. I have
1: not killed one in Nevada just because I haven't drawn a tag, and same goes for New
0: Mexico. Have, you haven't even hunted New Mexico. No, I've never had a
1: tag in New Mexico. So, you know, scratch that one off the list. And the same with Nevada. Um, but I killed in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, Utah, and Arizona. I think I got them all. I don't know if I got Wyoming in there. I killed a couple there, too.
0: And. and- Michael, having hunted these different states, I mean, um, you cut your teeth on hunting in Oregon, uh, on public land bulls, or where was the first elk that you killed? Um, the first elk I killed,
1: I was 14 years old. Um, it was a Roosevelt cow in night, like December 12th or 13th in 1981. Um, I was hunting with my uncle. It was a late hunt, and uh, I shot at her and missed her and I shot at her again, it was it was raining sideways, and lo and behold, you know, the gear we used, and, you know, we had nobody to teach us, and, you know, we didn't have the World Wide Web or anything, I mean, it was just kind of go at it and have fun, and lo and behold, you know, I, I killed this great big Roosevelt cow, and, you know, that kind of lit a fire under my butt, and
0: here I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. Out of the 48, um, how many are bull, and how many are cows? I've shot
1: three Roosevelt cows, Two spike bulls, and the rest of them are branched
0: antlered bulls. That's awesome. And and with the uh, when was your first? How many years into it did you shoot a branch antlered bull? Oh wow, um, man! I, I mean, did you, was it was it a handful of years, and then you finally got a branch? Yeah, antlered bull? Yeah, it was
1: probably I was probably about nineteen or twenty, I think. Um,
0: and and how has from the first time you started, um, you know, obviously your first elk was in December. You probably weren't calling. At what point in time, because you're a fantastic elk caller, what what point in time did you jam an elk call in your mouth and say, I, I need to master and, and really learn how to do this?
1: Um, Probably about 1990 or 1991.
0: What was some of the first... Um, calls that you used i mean did you start right out with a diaphragm or what no i
1: mean at first you know i had them before that you know before we got serious you know we had the larry jones stuff and you know it it worked but you know we never had that much success with it we voice bugled some um and about 1990 or 1991 casey jammed a call in my mouth or basically gave me a call you know and said learn to blow this it was made by a a fellow here in oregon named dan clore went by the name of deep timber sounds Really tough call to learn how to blow, but still to this day, um, I can get a lot of guys to hunt me. So uh,
0: yeah, I can attest to that. I mean, plain and simple,
1: it sounds like a bull elk to me. And
0: I I think the one thing that makes that call so interesting is it takes a lot of the flutie out of it. It 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 really sounds guttural. It really has that real nice resonant resonance and um, both you and Casey can blow that very very well and uh, you know you guys have both cut me my own reeds and, and 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 you know made me my own custom mouthpieces and stuff and I still can't seem to get it anywhere near like what you guys can um, tell me about your style of calling Michael and how, how over the years maybe that's changed or has it remained exactly the same since the first bull you ever called in
1: um it's maybe changed a little bit. I mean, and by that, you know, my calling is the same. Um, it's, you know, it's probably my cow calling and stuff's gotten a lot better. I, you know, I would say in about, well, before I saw you in 3C, it was 97, by the way, when I first met you and you were driving a, uh, <laughs> that what was it, a
0: two-tone brown
1: Ford Ranger.
0: Yeah, Ford Ranger. <laughs> I, paid a, I paid a thousand bucks for it and... um <laughs> I don't think it had it. I think it had an AM radio and did not have air conditioning and at some point in time didn't have brakes half the time. And um, I believe you guys pulled up and I was underneath it or had it jacked up on a log or something trying to fix something, which is a little scary to think that I would be fixing anything. But I, I believe that's how we met, isn't it? Yeah, exactly.
1: But uh, to get back to what you were saying, I think about then is when I got real serious about diaphragm column. You know, for, with the cow sound, because before that, you know, you can make a good cow sound with that, that bugle too. And it works really well for long range locating, uh, cow call. And it's something totally different that isn't, you know, floated on the market that, you know, these elk anymore, they've heard everything. Um, but I want to say in 97, I got serious with the diaphragm and I got a lot of help from Dieter Kaboth on Matt. Um, you know, no, no, nobody better to go to than a world champion to learn how to do it right. Sure. Um, and he kind of taught me how to use a diaphragm for the cow sounds, and then what the you know the bugle used. Um, that's what I you know used for my bull sounds. I have never been able to bugle with a
0: diaphragm at all.
1: I'm terrible with it. I suck. <laughs>
0: in, in in your style of hunting, having hunted with you, um, you, you kind of play on the mindset that you know you're looking for elk that want to play um i always tease you and say give them the pipe or give them the ape because you like to chuckle on that call and um tell me a little bit about what it's like to just go into the woods and you're just you're just trolling for bulls that want to play um i mean i'll go out and you know i'll start with
1: maybe a light long locating type of a bugle is what these guys call it nowadays I and mean, they've got terms for all this stuff and we didn't have any of this back then so you know i I don't, you know, they call it a locator bugle and this and that and everything else, but um, sometimes we'll use that, and it depends. Early in, earlier in the season, you know, more so maybe a long, drawn out call, cow call on that bugle tube um, that reaches way out there, just kind of, hey, I'm out here, none of this whiny, estrous stuff or anything like that. Um, But a lot of times, you know, we'll start with a cow call and then a light bugle. Um, if they're already, you know, if you're late enough into September and they're already bugling, I just assume bugle and, you know, just like turkeys, I like to shock them.
0: Yeah. And then once you shock them and they're ripping, uh, you just charge in after them, get the wind right. Or, um, tell me a little bit about your strategy when you get close, do you bugle at them more times than not, or or per state, are there certain states that you're just going to fire at them with the bugle or do you slip in and cow call them?
1: Um, try and. Try and gauge a bull from, you know, my thoughts are you always try and gauge him from a distance because they're more willing to play from a distance anymore. Um, You know, you can kind of feel them out. Are they biting a bugle that day or are they biting a cow call? And a prime example, the bull I killed this last fall, um, heard him bugle first. I gave him a light bugle back. It was early September, and he bit right away on that. And uh, cow called at him. He had nothing to do with it you know, 10 bugles later, I killed him. Um, yeah. you know, it's just like fishing. You got to find out what they're they're wanting to bite on that day or that part of the rut. And that's kind of how I go about it.
0: Um, yeah. Michael, um, you've shot, uh, Hoyt, you've shot Matthews, you've shot several different bows and, and, and you're very, um, very good with your, your equipment and, and you, you do all your own stuff, uh, you know, get all your own arrows, everything, um, Tell me what you're shooting now, um, or maybe you're shooting a couple different bows. Tell me what your setups are right now. Right
1: now, um, I just got a new bow three weeks ago. I got a Bowtech Boss, 36-inch um, axle-to-axle to bow. Um, seems to be real nice, real smooth. Um, shooting an Easton ACC 371 out of it. Um, I'm fletching them, four-fletched. With the Arizona Promax veins, little bitty veins, and uh, shooting a shuttle T broadhead, and it's just shooting lights out right now.
0: And you're shooting those 371s. I mean, you've basically stuck with that arrow for a long time. Yeah, they, you know,
1: it, it's a good arrow, um, and I really don't think they'll ever discontinue it. So I'll keep shooting it.
0: And then the shuttle T lock. Um... I know you've been a big proponent of those broadheads. Tell me why you like those broadheads so much. Accuracy. Accuracy and toughness. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a fixed three blade. If, if correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, cutting cutting tip or. Um, I, I forget. It's I think they call. It well, the blades, yeah, the the blades are kind of a leading edge tip, right? Right. Out to a yeah. chisel point. How many elk do you think you've shot with that broadhead? A dozen probably. Okay. And what are your thoughts on the mechanicals these days? I, I mean, there's a bunch of good mechanicals out there. From someone that's killed 48 elk with a bow, I believe you have the platform to give your opinion um, on why you don't shoot mechanicals. Um,
1: well, I think there's a couple of really good mechanicals on the market. Unfortunately, I live in Oregon, and uh, it's illegal to shoot one here.
0: Okay, so I, from a function of 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 living in Oregon, you basically stick with the with the um uh f- a fixed broadhead.
1: Yeah, um, you know, and I've done a lot of hunting in Idaho, and you know, Oregon, Idaho, and Washington, are, I think, are the only states in the West that are fixed blade only. Otherwise, I I would probably dabble. I've shot a couple deer in other states with mechanicals, and. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to be able to use them, but yeah. we can't.
0: Gotcha. Um, tell me about hunting Idaho. I know you've hunted there several times, and I think uh, pretty much where you used to hunt, the wolves have pretty much eaten all the elk out of there. Um, tell me about the heyday when it was good, and then uh, what the last time you've been there, what you've noticed um, with with the elk and the decline of the elk in Idaho. Um, Boy, I think the last time I was there was in
1: 06. It's been a long time. Um, You know, then it was kind of a double-edged sword. The unit I was hunting in 2000, they doubled the rifle tags in there. You know, they went from 100 bull tags to 200 bull tags. And it was an October 1 opening. It was a great, you know, rifle rut hunt. And I left that year on the 28th of September, um, and there was a foot of snow to the valley floor. At 7,000 feet, you know, most of our hunting there, you know, we were hunting over 8,500 feet for the elk up to, you know, 10,500 feet. And that year it was kind of like the perfect storm. I mean, we had snow everywhere. Um, they doubled the rifle tags and, you know, the bulls were out. The bulls were visible. Some of them dropped elevation and they've had a pretty good year with a gun and, you know, they maintained. I think, 75% kill and 67% six-point bulls. And then that was about when the wolf showed up on top of it. It's so pretty
0: much a double whammy right yeah, there. Yeah, it was a
1: double whammy. And I want to say they issued a 1,000 cow tags
0: in that unit that fall. Goodness. Goodness. That's unbelievable. Um, uh, you know, it kind of surprises me um, when you said that uh, you hadn't killed a bull in New Mexico. And I, I know you've applied in New Mexico. Um, that seems... To be an obvious state that I thought you would have had an elk in just because, you know, even though it's a draw, you know, it, it, it's, you know, there's some units there that you can certainly draw. Have you really uh, tried hard in New Mexico or just applied for the premium unit?
1: Just the premium stuff. If I'm going to go that far, I don't want to shoot a small bull, you know. I want to shoot a 300 or better bull if I'm going to go that far and hopefully something bigger, than, way bigger than that. But, uh, you know, someday it'll happen.
0: Yeah, um, and and you've hunted like I was saying before the three units in Arizona. I believe the last elk tag you had was in Unit Four B. Um, how was Four B, and and what would you say from an out of state perspective? Uh, you know, tell me about the people and the quality of elk and maybe some of the bugling activity what you witnessed there.
1: Um, you know, it was what 2011, and of course 2011 was a really tough year down there. Um, and everybody was complaining. It was the monsoons were so bad that I think for the first nine days I was soaking wet every day. I was going to set my camp up after I'd left scouting with you and 23 for your client. And I was going to set up camp. And it's like, I got up there above the rim that afternoon. and It was raining so hard that I didn't set my tent up. I ended yep. up sleeping in the back seat of my truck for the duration of that hunt. It rained so much. Yep. And, uh, I found great bugling, um, I never ran into 100 in the field. Um, and everybody told me that the elk weren't bugling. Um, I want to say we, we had a pretty big full moon that year, right in the middle of it all. And, you know, I'm one of these guys that goes against all this full moon, dark moon. I love the full moon. I want it right. I want it September 17th every year. Um, you just start earlier in the morning and be willing to walk in the dark.
0: Um, so, Michael, this year, the full moon, I want to say, is the 25th. I know it's – I'd have to check it out, but it, I believe it's the 25th of September. So your take is the bulls are, are going uh, before dawn, and you just got to get in there a little bit earlier and get on those bulls quicker right away because they're headed to their bed early early. Um, how do you see the rut? I mean, do you feel they fire in the rut when, when there is a full moon, or what's your thoughts? I think so. I I, I prefer it to be, you know, that 17th to the 23rd. Um,
1: I think it makes them bugle hard. Um, alibi, a lot of it is at night, and you've got to be out there with them in the dark to get started. Um, but if you can follow them to their beds and let them get to their beds, um, and let the wind settle down. You can usually crawl right in next to them,
0: and that can be just pure chaos when you do that. I mean, I you love know that I, trick. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you on the fact that um, you know one thing about getting that moon mid-September into that twenty, you know, anytime from the fifteenth to the twenty-fifth is, you know, they'll be out all night long. You know, congregating up at water holes and out in meadows and and really tearing it up and rutting hard. And and one thing it will do is I've seen them. It gets them real fired up. Um, and and people say they don't bugle in a full moon. Yeah, I am kind of I kind of go with you in the fact that sometimes that full moon gets them so riled up at night that they're so frenzied up and those bulls are just raging. Um, that, you know, you can have some really good days in the full moon. Yeah,
1: I, I totally agree. You know, it, it's just a couple weeks of the year that you got to say sleep is way overrated.
0: <laughs> Isn't that the whole month of September? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, there's a
1: couple weeks there when it really peaks and if the moon's right, you know, you just got to say sleep's way overrated. You know, I'm used to okay. your 3 o'clock wake-ups, so it's no big deal.
0: I, Tell me about... Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Tell me about, uh, you were talking about a tactic there where um, you let them slide into their beds and then you creep in there and get in there with them. Um, so so let's say you get in there and you can tell they're laying down and bugling from their beds. How close are you going to try and get and what kind of calling are you going to do um, from your position? Um,
1: I'm going to try and get to 100 yards if the terrain will allow it. Um, I mean, I'll push it as close as I can. You know, if you can break that 100 yards, um, and they're bedded, bedded up hard, um, I'll slip in. Um, you know, and the first thing is maybe just like a calf call, just to gauge the bull if he's going to respond. And then maybe after that, a light bugle. And then my favorite trick of all is just to rake a tree. Yeah. And sometimes it, you kind of got a gauged bull going into the whole situation. If you followed him all morning or you've been hunting him two or three days, you know, just sliding in, you know, 80, a hundred yards and getting a big stick and just start raking a tree. That's been the death of a few of them for me. It works really well, especially on heavily called bulls.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Raking a tree. Um, it, you know, it, you hear it so much, but then you don't actually see people really implementing it. Um, and then I feel like people rake a tree and a lot of times they're way too far away from a bull. I think if you can, and you tell me what you think, but I think you get in there tight enough to them and you start raking a tree, the curiosity just kills the cat. They, yeah, you know, exactly. They, You've got to be hundred and in.
1: A hundred and in. If it's thick enough that, you know, down like the junies where you guys hunt, a lot of times you can get 50, 60 yards from those elk before, you know,
0: you yeah. still can't
1: see them. So, you know, you got to just gauge it a little bit by the terrain. But if you don't think you're going to get busted, you're going to bust them out every now and then. But the closer you can crawl up to them, the better off you are.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, I think – I I think you hit the nail on the head out of those 48 elk that you've killed. How many would you guess, uh, you were by yourself on, on bulls? Would you say half and half or, or what's your percentage if you had to take a stab? Uh, Boy. Oh
1: man. I've probably killed two thirds of them by myself.
0: Yeah. And, and of those two thirds, um, you know, how how many elk, have you've packed a lot of elk out completely by yourself. Tell me what you do when you get an elk down by yourself and maybe, you know, go into as much detail as you can about specifically what what you're, you know, how you're trying to attack that elk on the ground and, and getting all the meat and, and the first, some of the first things you do. I, you know, I'm a strong proponent of the gutless method, even if I can drive my picket to it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, i don't like to cut them i mean yeah. up to your shoulders and one's chest cavity when you can just work from the top down and it works really well but you know when i'm by myself i mean i'll start every time my knife goes in between their ears runs down their back to the tail down the back leg down the front shoulder peel one side down pop the ham off pop the front shoulder the back straps the neck bone the ribs out reach in get the tender line on that side cut his head off and uh that by then, he's manageable enough to where I can flip him over and do the other side the same way.
0: Yeah. Michael, What um, I know you've used a bunch of knives over the years. Um, do you have one specific type of knife that you like to use? Um, and, and or do you ever use a saw or is it always with a knife? Always with a knife. Um, you showed me this handy little thing called the Havilon. <laughs>
1: I was last down there.
0: I think you laughed at it when I first showed it to you. Yeah, well... I promptly came home
1: and asked for one for my birthday, but it was three weeks later and have used nothing but that since. I actually use that for pretty much everything, and everybody says, oh, yeah, the blades are flimsy and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, just get the blunt tip blades if you're going to work around bone, and the the point blades are pretty good for the rest of it. Um,
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, In your uh house there how much elk do you guys consume uh compared with other other meat um is it pretty much all elk ah no there's some blacktail deer thrown in with it too <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> that's that's a subject of a whole nother podcast michael happens to be a blacktail fanatic and um coming from that country where you live up there i can understand why yeah it's kind of um, like you guys
1: and your coos deer
0: yeah, for sure. Um, we actually enjoyed a coos deer hunt. What year was that, Michael, when you drew a coos hunt? Shoot, it had to be like 2002 or something. You that? had a real or pickup. You... <laughs> I actually had a, had a four-wheel drive pickup that ran. Forward. A... It was 2000. 2000, okay. Um, that was a fun hunt. Uh, y- you're sitting on a pile of deer points then. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh Let's talk about Mr. Big. Let's talk about uh, 2009. You drew the tag. Um, Walk me through a little bit of your trepidation with, you know, not putting in for maybe some of the more popular units and kind of give me your perspective on how things went down.
1: Well, you know, it's one of those deals, you know, we drew in 97, killed nice bulls, you start the process over again. And back then, you know, you always had a shot of a random tag, you know, it wasn't the 10% pass or 20% pass and 10% of non residency all the tags up. So applied, applied, applied diligently. And, um, you know, of course my brother drew with nine with hardly any points in the lawsuit year. And then the next year my cousins drew with hardly any points in the lo- with the lawsuit. I couldn't draw, but you know, <laughs> they, drew. that stung a little bit, you know, and we'd always talked about how, you know, where to apply and. You know, I'd looked at 23 South when it first came available, and I couldn't talk my partner into, you know, anything but nine. And, you know, you said, hey, you know, you finally were the one that, you know, said, hey, we can kill a big one here. And he said, well, I've got stuff going on this year. Apply by yourself. So, you know, put him for nine first choice and 23 South second. And um, the rest is history. Yeah. Um,
0: every- now it takes. now it takes the guy that drew this year, I believe, took 18 points to draw the tag. As a non-resident. I think I
1: drew it with 13.
0: Yeah, you drew it with 13. Um, um, we, we found some good bulls um, on that hunt. Uh, scouting, you came early, and we just had a ball and ran all over that unit and beat ourselves up in the rhino and, and the, uh, the trucks and everything else. Um, uh,
1: <laughs> I think we broke everything we had that trip.
0: Yeah. I, th- I, you know, I still remember the day when we were way over in another part of the unit and, um, I think it was around 11 or so. And I remember we had a pretty good morning. Um, can't remember. I think it was like the third, third or fourth day of the hunt. Um, you probably have a better memory than I do. And I contacted Jean by text, my wife, just to see how things were going. We had Cody Nelson and Cody Goff and friend Josh Flowers up they were just up glassing around and what have you. And, um, I remember distinctly we we're barely got f- phone service and jeans like, uh, you need to get a hold of Cody right now. Um, they've got a big bowl found and I, you and I knew where they were and we're thinking good night. How are we going to get from where we're at over the, to them? And, um, I'll let you take it from there. But we, we headed over that way. And, um, man, when we looked through that spotting scope, it was uh, sure a pleasure to see, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I think we kind of pretty much knew exactly where they were actually sitting that morning. And,
0: yeah.
1: uh, you know, because we'd strategize. That was the cool thing with that whole deal was those guys and their willingness to help. Their willingness to go wherever you wanted them to go look. You know, it wasn't they didn't have an hidden agenda into their own. They just wanted to help. And you see so little of that anymore. Everybody's thumping their own chest and wanting to do their own thing and me, me, me. But those guys, I mean, would have never happened without them. Um,
0: Yeah. And I'm going to add, too, that um, sometimes coming and helping me on an elk hunt isn't a very good thing because a lot of times you get sent to, you know, who knows where and and, – you know they they follow the directions to a T, and and sometimes they come back shaking their head thinking what were you thinking but you know in this particular case it worked out um those guys just uh are great guys cody's the cody nelson's obviously the manager at the outdoorsman's and um uh Goff just Josh they're they're great guys. Yeah. Um tell me about the first time when we got to those guys and we saw your bull. Um tell me what you thought. Well I'd never
1: seen guard seconds and thirds so on an elk in my life. <laughs> you know, and yeah. under a tree and I mean, you know Cody Nelson, I mean, he, you know, we brought a cooler full. I remember stopping by camp, loading up food, loading up water, loading up everything. I mean, we looked like a couple gypsies going down the road on that. Bike. I was, <laughs> drove the rhino all the way there. We didn't even launch and re put it on the trailer yeah. to relaunch it. We just drove. And, <laughs>
0: um, it, I just remember that bull, and when he would turn his head, you and I both looked at each other, and I just said, you need to get over there and get on that bull. And Cody and... All of us, Cody, Josh, uh, Cody, Cody, and Josh, and I just basically sat, and that bull stayed bedded over there. And you got what, 21 yards from that bull? Yeah, I, you know, you guys
1: hatched this gr- grand scheme of plans, you know, and I come from this calling I'm and, you know, all this stuff. And this bull's sleeping in his bed in the middle of the day, and I'm like, you guys are nuts. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you had a good plan, and, you know, it was like, okay, the wind's really good. We can try it. And I remember getting over there, glassing back to you guys you know, we knew a meadow that I could go through and I could glass you guys again to, you know, line up on him some more if he changed. And, you know, you guys were signaling me right there. And about then the bull bugled and I was inside of a hundred yards of him then. And, you know, tiptoeing along and all of a sudden he tied into a juniper raking his horns. And when he stuck his head in it, it a juniper and I went crazy, you know, it was pretty obvious that, you know, hey, I better move. And I yeah. just, you know, basically hot footed it right up alongside him, you know, and he was, 21, 22 yards. And he couldn't go forward. You know, he, the only way he was going to come out of where he was, it was, he was going to back up and walk right out at, you know, 25 yards in the wide open. I was going to have a tree to draw when he went behind it. And, you know, he was just raking that tree and raking that tree. And the longer I stood there, the longer, and I was actually pretty calm. I was surprised, you know, um, I didn't know how big that bull was. None of us knew how big at that point, you know, we were just saying, oh, he's probably 385, 390 you know, because we'd never
0: gotten a real good look at his tops. and Yeah, he was never in the open enough to really see him, for yeah, sure. We just
1: knew that if the top matched the bottom, he had to be 380 or 390 or something like that. And I remember when he was raking that tree, I couldn't see that his top's real good either. And then, you know, finally the wind hit my neck and, you know, a second later he stopped and, you know, froze and then pulled out of that tree and trotted down the hill and, I got my first good look at him, and when he trotted off, I thought, "That bull's 415 inches. If he's an inch, you know, he's 410, 415, or something like that." and It's it just stunning.
0: Yeah, and I remember when you you made it back to us, and that was pretty much our day. And we we um were all kind of traveling back, and I remember you guys talking about how big he was, and I didn't even want to enter into the conversation. I was just going, "Oh my gosh," I you know. We both, you and I, wanted that bull so bad, and um, uh, I believe we went in there. Um, those guys had to leave, and, and then it was just you and I, and um, uh, went in there and found that bull. Uh, not, not at first light, but ended up glassing them up, and, and we made the call at nine something in the morning to not go after him. And I think we had two or three flat tires on the Rhino. We had, we're out of spare tires. I mean, it was a bad deal. Yeah, it was that
1: um, you're exactly right. I, I think we went to Cody Goff was still with us that morning. Josh and right. Cody Nelson had, had to go back to work, but Cody Goff could hunt till like 10 and then he had to be headed for town to work. And, I want to say uh, I know where you were sitting and I know where Cody was sitting. And I know the bull was 250 yards under me all morning, right underneath me.
0: Right. He never made a peep really. No, Um, no, I was stunned when you come back. So I used to be
1: standing below you all morning and then laid down in that patchy junies. So yeah. Yeah. What do we have? Flat tires, (laughs) tires. I mean, the air pump got a workout on that trip. That's for sure. And I think, yeah, we went and put it on the trailer and took it to town and,
0: yeah, I mean, our plan was we we knew that water was down there below them, and we figured that being all alone, you know, it was a little bit of a gamble. But I I figured that if we could get some new tread on the um, uh, Ranger, which was my fault for not having new tires on it anyway, that twenty three country just tears that those that you know the tires up. But anyway, we made it back in time, and we hatched this plan that you know we figured the bull was going to head downhill towards that water, and and. Um, I got back up on that high point, and um, basically, you got down there between him and the water, and and I mean, he had to come through an op- a pretty good open, and, and the plan was that you would be able to see him, and I mean, you just, basically, everything worked exactly as planned. Walk me in from the first time you saw him, and then you had to uh, skidge, you know, and, and move a little bit. Walk me from there.
1: Um, I think you kicked me out and, you know, we kind of knew which way the wind was blowing. It was blowing the same way it was the day before when it snuck up on him. And, you know, the plan was to let you get to the high point in case we did bump him because it was down to just me and you at that point. And, uh, you know, in case I bumped him, you know, maybe you could figure out where he went to. Um, so, you know, I hiked down off the ridge, got in the bottom, got the wind right, put on the sneaky feet or bear's feet or whatever. I remember busting a couple of whitetails out and thinking, Oh boy, I hope they don't screw it up. And, uh, kind of just kept bebopping up the Canyon, got down towards the bottom where the water was and was coming to the edge of a big opening. And then I could see an elk out in it. And, you know, he was just feeding, you know, it was kind of odd to see him. It was really early in the afternoon and, uh, you know, he was just feeding like crazy and, you know, he was in a pretty good patch of grass and, um, I mean, I think the death of him was he didn't have a cow one with him, and you know he was just concerned about his belly.
0: And yeah, the hard part for me was I was up on point. I had just gotten up there, and boom, the elk's up in the opening feeding, and I'm thinking, good night. And I can see where you're at down there. I know exactly where you're at, and so I know you can see him. But at that point, you know the the suspense was just killing me because he was angled downhill, just slow, just buried his head, and was just eating like a pig and you know, I I I I mean, my heart was going a hundred million miles an hour, as I'm sure yours was, just knowing that it was about to happen, and it was hard to believe that it was going to work, just like we, you know, like the plan was hatched. And um, so a, as he kept moving towards you, tell me about, you know, how'd you calm yourself? What did you end up doing? Did you even look at his rack, or did you just focus on where you needed to shoot him?
1: Well, I had to make sure I was shooting the right bull. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was kinda of when he you know, when I met up with him it was kinda of like, Wow, this guy's really got big horns and uh I tried to not look at him after that, but you know, he was speeding so hard and I had a good win from him to me. Um that, you know, I just as he moved along I kinda of moved where I could move and pretty soon I come around to Juniper, you know, i kinda of crawled through it out the other side of it and he was out in this opening feeding and uh he was quartered pretty hard away and I you know I, for some reason, I thought, man, he's way out there, and uh, I thought, well, I'll get a range on him and, you know, go from there, and I ranged him, and he was 56 yards, and I, you know, for some reason, when I was watching him, I was thinking, man, he's 75, 80 yards away, he's way too far for a uh, shot, and uh, when I ranged him at 56, I thought, the first thing that went in my mind is, I can kill him from here, and uh so I I got an arrow out of the quiver well I think the first thing I did is I slid my sight to exactly 56 yards and uh, put an arrow on the string I was on my knees and kind of hooked up my release and you know he was quartered hard and I didn't want to shoot that far at him quartered as hard as he was and if on cue I mean he just took another step kind of spun downhill and he was as broadside as a McKenzie target could be and you know his head was in two feet of grass he had no clue I was there and I thought well Now's the time to do this because if I miss him, he's not gonna know what happened and I'm gonna get another shot at him. So I you know, I, I was pretty calm up to that point and then I drew my bow back and it was a whole other story. I started shaking so hard. <laughs> I've never trembled so hard in my life. And you know, the bull's just he doesn't have a clue I'm there and I can remember telling myself, you know, and this is gonna sound funny. And it's just okay, dumb shit.
0: Calm down, <laughs>
1: you can do this, put the pin on his chest, pull through the shot, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, it's just a big target standing there. And at some point, my bow went off, and I can just remember the arrow, you know, I knew it was a good shot when my bow broke, and uh, I can remember seeing the arrow about halfway there, it kind of went through the sunlight, the shade, the sunlight, you know, and I could kind of track it, and I can remember last seeing it about halfway to him going, it's going to hit him. And, uh, you know, there was this, all of a sudden, this, you know, I lost sight of it then in a terrible crunch. And, um, you know, these little bitty fletch are tough to see, but I can remember him taking that first jump, you know, from when it hit him. And I saw my fletching shear off behind his shoulder with that first leap and uh, fall out of his armpit. And it's like,
0: I just killed him. Yeah. He didn't go, but what what did he go, 40 yards, yeah, 50 yards maybe? he went
1: about 20 yards right down into the creek bottom, and he got out on those rocks, and I thought he was just having a problem walking on the rocks. Well, he was already starting to go down, and he'd come up out of the creek bottom, and I want to say at that point I'd ranged him at 97 yards or something like that when he kind of got up level with me again because we were darn near the bottom of the draw when I shot him, and I was trying to slide my sight. You know, I figured I had five more arrows. I was going to, you know, you hear these horror stories, and, you know, I'm a firm believer that once you got one in, it don't matter how far they are, you keep shooting. You shoot, him, you shoot him anywhere you can shoot him. Um, um, and uh, I was getting ready to shoot again, and he went down, And uh, which he promptly got right back up and then went right back down. And I was kind of wondering what to do. Do I just take off and bum rush him? Or,
0: you know, it was just a lot of things going through my head. And then I realized, you know, he was done. And, you um, know, Watching it from a distance like I was, I I basically just saw the bull with his head down and was just, at that point, I could see you and and him in the the same um, binocular view, and um, I just saw him buck up real hard and knew that you had hit him, and, you know, it was really evident to me watching uh, that you had just hammered him, and, you know, he was wobbly-legged from the start, and um, I just remember watching him making sure and then I saw you kind of give me the fist pump up there where I was sitting and um I remember just gathering up all my stuff I actually remember sitting there for a bit just making sure that he was down and and I remember gathering up my stuff and I mean set a land speed record down there to you and um that was a pretty memorable moment uh in my hunting career of just uh being able to share a bull of that size um you know, just, just pretty incredible. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, way more than
1: I bargained for. I kind of, I think when we I got there, you kind of asked me what kind of bull I wanted to kill. You know, it was kind of like, hey, if it's over 370, I'll be tickled. And, you know, we get down towards the last five or six days, you know, anything over 340, 350 gets it, you know.
0: Yeah. I'm kind of a
1: realist when it comes to that. But, you know, this was just way more than we bargained for. And I just figured, you know, it's just doing the right thing time and time again and you get rewarded
0: just, yeah. just an incredible bull i want to say uh, i had 25 26 maybe even 27 inch fourth points and um Girl scored 435 um you know obviously your biggest bull with a bow um just a phenomenal feat and uh you know i'll, I'll never forget that just a you know, I, th- I think the word traveled fast when we got back to um, camp at 2 in the morning, um, you know, with all of our meat and our antlers. and, and, and uh, Yeah, we
1: looked like a couple of gypsies when we loaded the rhino up that go.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I mean, quite honestly, we had that whole elk, all the antlers, and all of our gear in that thing, and, and um, literally looked like the Beverly Hillbillies going down the road. <laughs> And pulled in there to camp at 2-something and was still just on cloud nine. And, and even in the morning when we woke up, I remember uh, walking out there and just looking at the antlers to just make sure I wasn't dreaming. Yeah, I can remember we packed the head and the cape and the
1: horns in the living room of that house. I, you know, I don't know if yeah. you an elk had a cape, a fresh one like that, in that house since, but...
0: The biggest challenge was getting it in there, uh, and but you and I were like, we are not leaving this outside for any chance of either a getting stolen or some animal dragging it off, and yeah. so it spent the night in there with us. Um, well, yeah, congratulations on that phenomenal bull, um, Michael. What what is your next biggest bull? Um, so out of all the elk you killed, that's the biggest. What's your next biggest that you've shot?
1: Um, it would be that one you filmed a three C. I think he's like 349 and 6.8 or something, right at 350, just a hair under 350.
0: And you've shot a pile of bulls, uh, 300 to 350? 300 to 330.
1: 300 to
0: 330, you've got a pile of them, okay. Um, that's awesome stuff. Who do you look up to in the hunting industry, um, whether it be elk hunting or, or any 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 type of person in the hunting industry, name a couple guys um, that you look up to. Wow, that's kind of a tough one. There's several of them. For elk, there's a couple guys that
1: I'd have to look up to. One would be uh, Dan Evans. I mean, that guy is an absolute hammer. I've had the pleasure of talking to him once on the phone, and the guy's an absolute hammer. He gets it done every year. The other would have to be Casey Brooks. I mean, the guy's what has he killed? Sixty-five elk, seventy elk with a bow now. Half dozen over four hundred. Oh, and then I'd have to say probably Randy Olmer. I mean the guys. I you know my nemesis is a mule deer of any size. Not not <laughs> talking the size he kills, and he makes it look easy. Those three guys, a good friend, Aaron Collins, another fellow, Jack Frost. Um, those are some some guys I really look to up to, and then. Probably the guy that started this whole, you know, 50 of them before I turned whatever age is, you know, as a kid, I mean, the big hammer elk hunting-wise, what you read about in Bowhunter Magazine, what we had for a publication then was Danny Moore out of Montana. I mean, you know, the shop I went into here locally, the owner knew Danny, hunted with him a little, and so did a couple other guys that kind of spearheaded me along on all this, and, uh, you know, always hearing about Danny, um, you know, and how many he killed and on and on and on, you know, I thought, man, that's, that's pretty cool. And, uh, actually in 2013, I got to spend a little time and no, maybe 2012, excuse me, it was 2012, got to spend five days or so camping with him in Wyoming, shared a camp with him in Wyoming. And, uh, it was really cool to get to meet him and spend a little time in camp with him.
0: Cool. You know, um, uh randy ulmer and casey brooks and dan evans um have all committed to come on the podcast i'm just a matter of scheduling here with them um and i'm gonna do my best to get danny Moore on i'd love to pick his brain about elk hunting and um maybe you can help me facilitate that but yeah those guys you mentioned are oh yeah a couple
1: more guys i have to add to this list
0: jay sure jay and darb (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: you had to say that uh, no guys utmost respect i haven't spent a whole lot of time with dar in the field i've spent quite a bit with you but the little i've spent with dar the little i've talked to him on the phone the texts where i've heckled him for his fillet knives and things like that you know great guy. <laughs> great guy i know if you're hanging out with him all the time he's total class act
0: yeah he, he is a great guy he's been a great hunting partner over the years and um yeah, it's it's uh, been a pleasure being around him for for um, as long as I have. And um, Michael, what would you say? You know, being you know a veteran of of archery elk hunting, what would you say some of the most common mistakes people make um, while they're while they're archery elk hunting?
1: Um, Over in the early season and not being patient enough to allow the elk to come in, because you know. We open a lot of times in late August, and the bulls will come in, but they're going to come in nine times out of ten silent. Um, that is, with these early openers, you just got to have some patience. you got to do some cold calling and just give the elk time. Um, maybe try not to cover as much ground, go into your honey holes, and just sit down with the wind right where you think the bull's going to come from and give it a chance to develop and see if it'll develop.
0: It's good advice, really good advice. Um, Michael, talk about... Um, Talk about target panic, and if you've ever had it, and uh, you know wh- what some advice you can have um, to guys. And, and if it's not target panic, you know when they draw down on a on a bull, maybe give me your give me some of the things that help you. Um, as many elk as you've shot, uh, give me some of your tips on h- how to fight target panic.
1: Um, boy, I fight it all the time, and they all say I need to go to a back tension release most of the year and I still fought that and fought that and fought that um I have one but you know haven't been trained on properly how to use it so I'm terrible with it um but basically if I can get to full draw which you know usually is not a problem um I you know if I can get to full draw and they're sideways and most of my shoot I want to say you know, I shoot them, usually they're pretty close. Um, I want to say out of 48, if I take all the, the numbers and grind them down, my average shot of the bull elk is 28.3 yards. So they're pretty close. And if I can get drawn on you know, they're pretty much dead if they're giving me a shot. It's I have to slow down, though, and say the same thing. I'll get to shake and I want to rush, and it's just like, okay, you've got them at this point. Okay, dummy put the pin on the sh- behind the front shoulder, pick a spot, pull through the shot, pull through the shot, pull through the shot, and hopefully don't feel the bow go off because when that happens, they're shot right through the heart. Yeah.
0: So when, when the bow surprises you, you usually have a perfect shot. Yeah. And when you're drawing down on a bull that's standing broadside, um, do you go from the top down or the bottom up? Usually from the top down. Okay. Um,
1: you know, but I never shoot enough poundage. You know, I can always pull my bow straight back. So I'm usually in the neighborhood real quick. You know, I don't believe in one of these guys, you know, you got to shoot 80 or 85 pounds. You know, I'm just not a big enough guy to be able to handle that. Um, so I want a bow that I can pull straight back, you know, be it kneeling, sitting on my rear, standing up, whatever. I want to be able to pull it straight back from all
0: positions and, that way you can be kind of on target when you go. What um, tricks have you learned over the years when it comes to killing elk with a bow? As far as is there any is there anything that maybe you could say that would maybe shock me as far as a little trick that you've learned um, in all your years of elk hunting? Uh, never surrender. It persistent happen, it
1: can happen on the last day in the last hour um you can kill them a lot closer to the roads than people lead you to believe
0: oh that's interesting um a lot of people Would
1: drive you? right by them and, and their big haste to get you know the big craze these days is live off your da- back like a dog for 10 days and not take a shower out of your backpack eating whatever those guys eat i, I don't know you know i don't mind really roughing it and getting after it if you you know, but I think
0: that's kind of overrated.
1: I, I tend to try and hunt smarter than harder.
0: Gotcha. No, that, that's, that's great advice. And, um, for someone who's killed as many elk as you have, you certainly have the platform to, to, um, have a, have an opinion. You know, there's a lot of guys that have an opinion that probably have no basis to have the actual opinion. Um, but, uh, that's all awesome stuff. When, when, would you ever take a walking shot at a bull? And if so, how close would you have to be for him to be walking?
1: Uh, no, and no, and no, don't shoot him moving.
0: Okay. What about, um, chest on? I've done it three times.
1: Um, all three bulls were close. I mean, they were 11 to 17 yards. Um, Two of them I basically watched die. They took five steps and died. Um, the other one might have made it forty yards. I mean, yeah. it's it's a it's a good shot if you're really ultra close.
0: Yeah, you know it, the I've seen I've seen elk die. You know, shooting them right in the middle. But like you said, you've got to be someone that's accurate and someone that knows what they're doing. And and um, you know the the the, the The magazines and stuff will tell you never to do it, but there's a lot of guys that have killed a lot of elk that say, you know, in the right circumstance they'll do it, and they're not afraid to say that they'll do it. Yeah,
1: I mean, prime example is Danny Moore. Ask him about it. He'll do it. He loves it. He says he's got to be close, but he absolutely loves it.
0: Tell me about your archery equipment. Uh, You said you got a new Bowtech bow. You've shot Hoyt. You've shot Matthews. um, You've shot Bowtech. um, you, I, I hear you saying you're with a 36 inch axle to axle bow. Um, why that one over maybe a shorter axle bow? Um, I've
1: sh- I've shot a, a real short bow the last four years, and you know, I think they're pretty good bows, the short ones, but they're designed to shoot stuff at 20 yards and 25 yards out of tree stands in the east. I feel, um, you know, I the more I think about it, you got to go to look at what the guys are shooting in target archery, shooting longer distances, shooting three D's and things like that. The guys that are successful at, they're not shooting 30 inch bows. Um, you know, so I kind of thought, well, with this one, I'm going to kind of go back to a target platform and build off that. And, uh, you know, it seems to be working.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're looking for number 49, um, this year and maybe 50 if you draw in some other States, um, so you've got three years to get two bulls down. I'm excited to um, see you reach your uh, goal of 50, and um, can't wait to hunt with you again. And um, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, really enjoyed uh, getting to get some of the insight from someone that's killed as many elk as you have, and I know the listeners will too. Well, it's
1: cool. It's a pleasure to, to talk to them all and you know, tell them my thoughts on it, right, wrong, or indifferent.
0: Yeah, well, um, so you've got an Oregon tag, you say, coming yep. up that you know yep. know you're going to draw. Yep. Awesome, and you're still waiting. Obviously, Arizona. Your credit card didn't get hit. Okay, uh, you don't know. So. You don't know about New Mexico or um, Nevada. Um, so I haven't
1: applied for Nevada yet, but that's probably going to be tomorrow. So. Yeah. Um, no. Um, hopefully, I'll come up with something. Worst case scenario, I can buy one
0: and. Idaho or buy one in Montana across the counter. Yep. Sounds good. That's awesome. Well, uh, buddy, it sounds good. I'm, uh, what about fishing? You've been fishing lately or, uh, um, I how- went
1: last Sunday for the first time this spring and caught a, about a 12 pound spring Chinook and, uh, it's just starting to heat up here. So that's going to give me something to do here from now until the end of June. I mean, I chased salmon pretty hard through the spring, you know, it helps elk season get here a whole lot faster
0: um I, i've been trying to talk you into going turkey hunting but it just hasn't seemed to catch hold with you too much <laughs> but it's too much during fishing season i think you're such an avid uh salmon fisherman and um i'll have to get up there and do that with you here one of these times and yeah. and uh, maybe we'll have to do a podcast on all the fishing that you've done yeah and, i mean, uh, i was
1: gonna say i think me and you like to fish as much as we like to chase elk around
0: so Yeah, absolutely. So, well, buddy, it was great having you on. Uh, Thanks for being with us. And until next time, uh, God bless you. And um, we'll be chatting at you down the road here. Sounds good, Jay. You have a good evening now. All right, buddy. Take care. That was an awesome episode getting to hear about Michael Park's elk hunting and his accomplishments. And I can't wait to see him succeed in his goal of trying to, to harvest 50 elk by the time he's 50 years old with a bow. And I'll never forget uh, hunting with him in 2009 and uh, getting to be a part of him harvesting the largest elk in the state of Arizona that year at 435 inches. Uh, that was a phenomenal time, and uh, it's always uh, fun to uh, spend time with Michael. And I want to thank you guys, our listeners, uh, for uh, tuning in. And uh, you know, if you haven't uh, subscribed on iTunes, please do so. Uh, you will automatically get uh, the updates when I load them onto my Podbean account. They will come to your device immediately. Um, if you have any questions or comments for me, you can leave them at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along on, online at jscottoutdoors.com, on Instagram at jscottoutdoors, on Facebook page jscottoutdoors, on our YouTube channel jscottoutdoors. I just appreciate all the support that you guys uh, give this podcast. And I look forward to many more episodes this summer. And um, until next time, guys, God bless. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.